You know, I'm just sitting down at my desk reading fan mail, and I've gotten a few messages from some of my fans and some of my friends and family about our podcast, and they said that they love the advertisements at the beginning, but don't know what Joe Shrimp Shack is. So for those that don't know what Joe Shrimp Shack is, number one, go to joeshrimpshack.com. Find yourself an amazing store filled with luxuries in the aquarium hobby and the best of all, shrimp hobby. I think it really goes to what are shrimp and why are they so delicious? Well, they're not food. These are ornamental shrimp that you keep in your aquarium. They look like jewels. It is a wonderful hobby. If you've never kept shrimp, certainly go to Joe Shrimp Shack's YouTube page and look at some of his creations that he's done and get inspired. And again, if you are going to get into shrimp hobby, listen to our episodes. We have a lot of great information and use promo code Aquarium Guides at checkout for 15 whole percent off your entire order. We'll get back to the funny ads another week, but this week we got to give some information and thank you to Joe Shrimp Shack for sponsoring the show. Also, guys, today we are releasing this podcast 925, and come this Saturday is the Fargo Exotic Pet Expo. Please check out the information. They're going to be holding it. It's going to be in limited uh, capacity, but I'm going to be there. If you guys want to, you know, meet the host of this podcast, certainly uh, hit me up. Maybe I can even drag Jimmy along. We don't know, but I will certainly be there to uh, say hello with uh, plenty of hand sanitizer and masks. So uh, hope to see you there. One last thing, I just want to take a minute. We are interviewing George Farmer this week. So take a minute on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and look up the George Farmer podcast. We're also going to have a link in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to that. It's fantastic content. He's recently kicked this off. Get this guy rolling. His podcast is wonderful, just like all of his other content. Definitely worth the follow. Now let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Jimmy, it isn't a mustard stain, all right? That that just spread food on your on your shirt. Oh, hi everybody. This is uh this is the Aquarium Guys Podcast. Uh, I'm Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby about ready to commit murder. I just, you know, I've been listening to this podcast called uh, Two Bears, One Cave, and Tom Segura has inspired me to make fun of you preemptively every show. That, that's good. I'm glad you can get out of bed in the morning and have a, a reason to go on with your day. Just just start right up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Making fun of you. Well, I was going to do like that whole thing. Like, he always does a bit where he pretends that Bert is racist. Like, no, that, that's not what you tell Jews. And then he just moves on. I'm like, oh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so. I love you, Jimmy. That's yeah. the point of this. Yeah, that thing, thanks a lot, Robs. But what's new this week? What do you got going on? Well, Adam's not with us. Adam is not with us. Adam has got a real job. This is another uh, Friday podcast. And the reason we're doing it on Friday is because we've got a wonderful guest today. So anytime that we try to do scheduling with people, uh, we're blessed to have people overseas join us. We had just had Josh Pickett on recently. And that was another Friday podcast. So to try to accommodate time zones, we did this one at 3 p.m. But normally, again, 7 p.m. Monday, you can join us in the Discord. Go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com, and you can watch it live. It's the only way you can watch it live because we only publish the audio because YouTube sucks. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> wow. Don't tell anybody. Making people mad already. Right. But our special guest, we are so excited to have the uh, famous George Farmer on the podcast. You can find his content at georgefarmerstudios.com. He is a famous 
Aquascaper. And again, you're on YouTube. You do a lot of collaborations with people. You have a new podcast, the George Former Podcast. And there's even a book coming right around the corner. George, welcome, buddy. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, I think famous is a, a bit too nice. I think infamous may be a bit more accurate. <laughs> no, no, no. You're infamous when you talk about dolphin memes on a podcast. You're famous when you make beautiful <laughs> creations. That's how this works. And write books and know, know what you're talking about. Right. Uh, and and so where are you joining us from? You're, you're over in the UK? I'm in England, uh, near Cambridge. So Cam- you, you may have heard of Cambridge, yeah. Cambridge. So it's... Um, it's about an hour north of London. Well, again, thanks so much. It's about uh, 3 o'clock our time. I'm assuming that's 9 p.m. your time. Yeah, coming up to that, yeah. Thanks again for joining us. But uh, before we get too far, we have George on. So, of course, this podcast is going to be uh, at least getting our toes wet into aquascaping and some of the inside secrets from George. But before we do, we always got uh, user questions and, of course, you know how Jimmy's week has been. My week has been wonderful. I uh, was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm trying to get back into the real world. And now you've cleaned from the hangover. I I, I did a little drinking uh, on my vacation. I did some day drinking, which led into some afternoon drinking. I just blame the, the dolphin comments from the prior podcast that, that encouraged the drinking. That I, That's why I drink, is just to forget about that podcast. That was a horrible, horrible podcast <laughs> that you brought up, and, and nobody wants to hear about that damn dolphin anymore. So, no. any any news this week? No, I got nothing for you. Just, Your pond froze over. We got our first frost. We got our first frost, and uh, uh, cold front came through. And as you know, I'd like to name the cold fronts that come through after my ex-wife. So uh, that was cold front, cold front gale that came through and, and froze my pond. It was a frozen gale. But you know what? My uh, my fish are happy. They still popped up and, and ate the other day. So they're still out there swimming around. And we probably got about another six weeks until we got to get them inside. And I've actually been thinking about maybe leaving the fish outdoors for a while and, and trying some of the, the, uh, well, all you have is goldfish out there, correct? Maybe some baby koi. Yeah. I got, I got some, uh, eight inch, uh, koi and butterfly koi out there. And so I'm just going to see what their tolerance is for cold. I mean, the thing is what, two and a half, three feet deep. I got it. Uh, the last, I redid it and I got it down to about 24 inches now. And, uh, I possibly could leave it if I put a heater out there and, and kept some aeration and stuff, but I don't know if I'm going to do that yet this year or not. I hey, that's figured. what they say. Uh, you know, we, we had, uh, pond experts on here and they, they were stating, they were stating two feet is all you really need. I know, but you know, it's, I still can't believe when it gets down to 30 below that that's not going to be frozen, but, um, just keep it bubbling, keep it bubbling, keep it bubbling. Well, my week, I have really kicked off my shrimp rack. So before we built it, and it's kind of been sitting empty waiting for me to have a paycheck. Well, of course, I never had the paycheck come, so I had to put it on the credit card. But uh, got <laughs> went down, saw Joe, got some nice shrimp in. Joe Shrimp Shack down in Minneapolis. Yeah, we uh, went down there, picked on him, you know, uh, left, a, left another present in his aquarium. He didn't see it yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, in I got a bunch of different uh, neocardinias. So I got blue... Um, yellow, orange, red, snowball, black, snowball. So that's all starting up and going really well. Not uh, not a complaint, planting it out and going ham. So hopefully that inspires people, you know, get your shrimp rack going. Tis the season, winter starting. First question. Hi, I'm from Bedford, England. This is Henry, by the way. And I've had some hydras show up in my tanks. They shouldn't cause much trouble with what fish I have. But couldn't find anything online how to get rid of them without using dog dewormer or completely bleaching the tank. 
thanks to the podcast, I've been binge listening recently, and there hasn't been an episode I haven't enjoyed. Many thanks, Henry. Was that to us or somebody else? That was to us. That was us. Okay. Right. So somebody enjoyed our podcast. Good. Contrary to popular uh, popular belief. Now, <laughs> I've only had like one interaction with Hydra, and it wasn't even my take. It was a friend of mine. I made a, a light recommendation, and I, I can't remember what it was. I think it was just some sort of uh, pest control medication, because I've never dealt with it. I've never had to deal with it either. Uh, it's, in my experience, rather rare to get Hydra in a, in a tank, but... Uh, I think we're going to save this one for the next Dr. Fish episode. Oh, we'll throw that at him and see if it sticks. Unless, George, do you have any recommendations on Hydra? Or hurt anybody with it, with issues? No, I've, I've never actually dealt with it before. All I know is apparently a symptom of an under-maintained tank. Well, I would assume yeah, that any of those pests that appears, you know, a little extra food, a little extra detritus. But uh, yeah. I'd assume fish would eat it, like he said. I, yeah. I've never dealt with it, so... We'll have to save that one for Dr. Fish. Well, Henry, that is the definition of a great question. If you stumped us or we haven't dealt with it, we're going to get the expert for you. So tune in for a future Dr. Fish episode. It'll be uh, probably episode volume three. We'll get that in there. Next one, we just got a, a viewer that said my guppies had babies and he'd sent uh, pictures. And, you know, I, I don't want to just ignore this. This is the highlight of a tank is when they're spawning. Guppies for some uh, aquarists think that they're going to spawn anyway, but that's an accomplishment. Celebrate your accomplishments, no matter how big or small. Uh, having guppies is still some of the funnest things I've ever had in a tank. My wife, that's her favorite number one thing is in my nine, uh, nine, 10 gallon tank recirculating system is her scooping the sump every day for baby guppies. So enjoy the process, sir. Congratulations on your breeding and rearing. Um, next one is from Cole. Just started listening to the podcast, got in the hobby uh, past January. My son is along for the ride, which is awesome. We have great luck with the hobby so far, as well as some mistakes and lessons learned. Uh, the Bashir deep dive could not have come at a better time. We are debating on a pair of smaller species of Bashir to attempt breeding. Ooh. Could you possibly share the differences between Canada, U.S. in the hobby, uh, prices and species, etc.? Also, when breeding say a pistagama, how often should one introduce a new male or female to freshen up genes? As uh, this part boggles my mind, but we have a, I, I'm going to have you read that, Jimmy. It's uh, that word. Cockatoides. Cockatoides spawn? Cockatoides is a, is a uh, pistagama. There we go. I'm, yeah, I'm not an apisto man. It's probably one of the most common. So we, we've had our cockatoidy spawn, Danio spawn, and uh, Nanakera. Anomalies. Um, uh, anomalies. Um, pff, I'm going to have you read these from now on. Uh, would be nice to get a good idea of limits. I know it's possible. I, I know of the possible defect, except how many generations uh, there are were stumped. So just to answer the, the questions here in a row, could we share the differences between Canada and U.S. in the hobby as far as price and species list? So as far as before COVID, we could have given you an est- some sort of an estimate. Um, in our experience, we have some friends over the Canadian border. It's very much based upon what's legal and what's not. For instance, in America, you can't even get a Asian arowana. Canada, you can. So if it's both legal in both countries... It completely depends on your area, if there's breeders and wholesalers, but 
I see a 5 to 10% increase on a lot of things up north, mainly due to cold shipping. Cold shipping, um, packing, and they can only ship into there right now with UPS. And so the farther you are from your wholesaler, which normally is from, in our area, of course, Florida in, in the U.S., um, I am the farther most north zip code that they have for U.S. But when you go up to Canada, 200 miles farther north, that's you know even farther. Right now, I'm paying uh, 80 to $100 per box for shipping from Seagrass Farms just to get them up here into uh, northern Minnesota. I'm assuming if you would do that up into Canada, you're probably looking at one and a quarter to 150 per box. So, uh, I mean, you're asking us to compare Canada to U.S. when we're, we're basically on the Canadian border ourselves. Yeah, we're 200 miles south of the Canadian border. It's not a huge difference. Now, since COVID, borders are locked. No clue. And uh, I've, I've talked to Julie at length. Uh, Julie is my salesperson at Seekers Farms. There is so much more paperwork uh, to get into Canada. There are certain things. Um, when you order from Seekers Farms, uh, they can tell me what is legal or not legal just in our state of Minnesota. Take, for instance, I can't even order in blue crayfish into Minnesota because uh, for some reason they're considered uh, illegal in, in Minnesota. And it's not that Minnesota bans them. It's it's illegal to transport cross state lines or some legality like that. So there's many different technicalities. But as far as prices between U.S. and Canada couldn't help you there right now. Yeah, I think what you're going to find out is that you're, you're probably going to be more expensive just for the fact of shipping and paperwork and stuff. But right now, I can buy um, some some small bickers for probably uh, about 13 Bashirs. Whatever. <laughs> I pick them up for $13, $15 a piece wholesale, and uh, I see them retailing for about $30. So I'm guessing you're probably going to be in that... $50 range probably. And that's base yeah. price. They go up from there. So right. $50 to 100 depending on the species is what we see. Yep. So the next question is, when breeding, say, a pistagama, how often should one introduce new specimens to freshen up the genes? You know, there's a lot of discussion on that, and I think it's real species to species. I know guppy strains have been going for years, and they're certainly inbred guppies. There's a lot of health issues from that. I like to do it whenever I possibly can. So... Every four generations is a good mark that I casually use for most species. Um, just, uh, I don't know, when I'm out and about every six months, grab a new one from a new store, ask them where they get their uh, content from. Oh, somewhere different. Good. I'll buy it just because I know it's a different strain. Yeah. And the thing is, is you could pick up uh, new stuff at different pet stores. They may be supplied by the same supplier, but um, chances are that they are not. There's quite a few suppliers out here in the U.S. still. But uh, another great thing you do is, is um, swapping with your buddies. Um, I've got a friend that, that raises a lot of pistagamas, and, and uh, I know that, that he takes and, and does some trading with different people just for, for that very purpose, to make sure they got, got new genes. There's always a debate between purity of species and when are we inbreeding. You know, of course you're inbreeding right away, but like, for instance, um, Endler's. Right, I have those endlers from Adam that we make fun of on the podcast, calling them feeder guppies. They're very beautiful, very brilliant, but I'm very nervous introducing new species to them because they're essentially NK-grade endlers, and they're extremely rare. Trying to find one that matches without ruining that gene pool is going to be quite, uh, quite difficult. So weigh your pros and cons. Then the next question in this list would be would be nice and a good idea 
of limits to no possible defects or wind generations are stumped. In your spawns, if you're seeing over 30% defect on anything, I mean, there's a massive warning you've, went, you've gone too far. If you're seeing that when you do a spawn and it isn't something that's albino that already has um, difficulty out the front, uh, front gate, and you're seeing bent backs, missing fins, you know, any type of mutations or stillborns, you might have, uh, have yourself a red flag. You know, the other thing, too, uh, people love to, when they're breeding, say, angelfish, and they do the, the, the veil angelfish, which are long fin angelfish, um, we, all the people we've ever talked to say you, you, when you're, when you're breeding long fin angelfish, it's always good to breed them to a short tailed version it, to make it a stronger fish and you'll get part, uh, veil and part standard and stuff. And, and the, the more we've done this podcast, we've had more people tell said that, you know, if you're, if you're breeding, let's say like albino plecos, uh, bristlenose plecos, you should do an albino bristlenose pleco with a normal bristlenose pleco to keep the, uh, genetics up. And that one's difficult because you're not going to get, because I do that right now for the Bristol Nose Playcos, you're not going to get a full-on albino by crossing a normal and that. You'll get a mixed color. So you have to know your species. Like, it works with angels. Bristle Nose, it's nice, uh, nice to do to keep a hardy line, but you're going to lose color. I mean, know your pros and cons. There you go. Talk to someone who's done it, honestly. If you have a species that you want to breed, the best, best place to start is find your local fish group, go online on Facebook pages, and talk to these expert groups. Like we had the, you know, Josh Pickett, the Bashir expert. He has like two Facebook, three Facebook groups he added me to that are just Bashir lovers and keepers. And they know these inside secrets and can help you along the way before you make those mistakes. Yeah. The more information you can gather, uh, the better off you're going to be. It's better to uh, learn from other people's mistakes than to make that mistake yourself. So on the end of this email, I didn't finish it. It says, I've learned a ton from the podcast. It's hilarious and very informative. Uh, keep keeping on. P.S. Don't worry. My son does not listen to this podcast. Wow. <laughs> so thank you, mom. <laughs> thank you. Wow. We've been banned in his bedroom. We've been banned. That's okay. If mom listens to us, information is going to trickle down. So mission accomplished. All right, one more email, and then we'll get uh, get going here, I swear. We're not going to keep you any further, George, I promise. All right. All right, Peter messaged me, I used trumpet snails in my garden and had excellent growth on my spuds this year. <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? Remember we got that uh, guy that's messaged us uh, in on the podcast telling us that his, was it uh, pest spikes, because he's a pest control officer, actually kills trumpet snails? And you said you read between the lines, and now trumpet snails are invading gardens? <laughs> now I get it. There All you right. go. Peter's just there to confirm that, yes, they're in his garden as well. Yeah. Trumpet snails are a <laughs> son of a gun. Well, I... before we get into the podcast, George, you know, what's your experience with trumpet snails as a aquascaper? Um, I've had them once. I actually deliberately got some off a friend. Because oh, Because I heard that they aerated the, they, they aerated the substrate, and... Uh, Help to keep it fresh, and they weren't—they weren't ever really a problem. They just really—I no just really noticed them at night, and they came up on the glass, which was really annoying. Um, and I, so I only kept them for a couple of years, probably, until I stripped that tank completely down and started afresh. And I've never kept them since. But they—they they were never really an issue, uh, one way or the other. It didn't affect plant growth. Didn't affect anything as far as I could see. So yeah, not—not not, no strong opinion on them really. 
we always uh, make fun of them on the podcast. We have so many people with nightmare stories because if you're new to an aquarium and you overfeed, the population explodes. Like there's no forgiveness yeah. if you have trumpet snails. Like you have to know exactly what you're feeding, otherwise you're going to have a thousand of them. And you probably already do if you have yeah. the tr- one trumpet snail. If you see 10, you've got 100. Yeah. Yeah, that's that point. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I never even thought about this for George himself. When you're trying to take photos of your beautiful landscaped aquariums, and you've got 50 yeah. trumpet snails hanging off the glass, that really doesn't work well for you, does it? No, not at all. But like I said, it, they only seem to appear at night. Not, I only ever saw them at night. So, yeah, they're never an issue for me. Lucky yeah. man. I had a 125-gallon tank full of trumpet snails. And when I would turn on the light, it was like it was raining trumpet snails because they would just let go of the glass and fall down to the bottom. It was just a horrible, horrible nightmare. I hate trumpet snails. <laughs> That's what you shake trumpet at. Snail Shake two at night, just like, no trumpet snails. Anyways, let's start with the uh, with the podcast topic again. We're going to dive in to aquascaping, which I I'm not even a novice. I'm not going to lie. I just do things that I find interesting or what I feel that other people haven't done. I I'm a person that you know wears shades during the day. I wear flamboyant clothing. I have idiot cars because I want to make a statement, and my tank needs to make a statement as well. So if I look into it and I don't see penis fish, it's a uh, it's a sad day for me. So uh, I need to escape my tank to have fun. But the masterpieces that uh, people are capable of, such as yourself, George, breathtaking. So we, we can't wait to dive in. But before we do, we start with the easy questions. We ask every person uh, interview style on the podcast, what got you into the hobby, George? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, our first... Saw my well, I, thought, I first saw a tropical aquarium, tropical freshwater aquarium in my school, my primary school. I think I was four or five years old, and I was completely transfixed. And um, I remember just staring at it for ages as a really young boy. And then fast forward a few years, and my uncle kept uh, an aquarium, and I, again I was like super transfixed. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until early early marriage years, I was in my mid-twenties, and my ex-wife said to me then, oh, we should keep an aquarium. I said, absolutely. It's something I've always wanted to do. So I got I got one, and I, I thought I'd fancy a planted tank because I'm quite into nature and being, I like landscapes and stuff like that, so I thought it would be nice to have a natural-looking aquarium. So I went to the store and I bought 10, 15 pots of what I thought were really good aquarium plants, and uh tried my hand at it and they all died and they got covered in algae and I was really pissed off because I spent a lot of money on these on these plants. And I did some research, I discovered like the internet forums and I quickly discovered that pretty much all of the plants I bought were non-aquatic. They were like, you know, uh, at best semi-aquatic and that were sort of house plants. I just had to stop you there. What species that were not necessarily aquatic did you have any access with just by experimenting? Yeah, I'd... Uh... Well, the, the first ones, the non-aquatics, were like Fetonia, which you can get in like terrariums and stuff. It's, re- it's a really popular sort of houseplant. And then Dracenia as well, which is, and, and the peace lily and, and all these non-aquatic plants. And then I, just doing the research, I realized there's, there's actually loads, loads of, of decent, easy to grow aquarium plants and sort of had a chat with my other aquarium store, which kept the, the real stuff. And then read my first sort of book on the topic, which was a Denelay guide to keeping a, a plant a tank. I don't know if you heard of Denelay. It's a really well-known oh, uh, German brand. We certainly have. We and, love their uh, shrimp food. 
Yeah. And they were like one of the sort of planted tank pioneers back in like the 80s. And they came up with this sort of system to, to keep a, success, a successful tank, a planted tank. And um, I, I realized that you needed decent lighting, CO2, substrate, fertilizers, all the good stuff. So I did some, you know, bought all the good, you know, bought, bought everything I needed, bought some decent plants. And, it, and then, I, so I could grow the plants and I, I was pretty good at it. And then, and then I, one Christmas, I got a present from my stepdaughter. And it was the Nature Aquarium World Book One by Takashi Amano. And then, so I opened this book and I was just, honestly, it was like an epiphany. It was just, I saw these nature aquariums, these beautiful aquascapes, and I just thought that, that's exactly what I want to do with my aquarium. And so I just relentlessly pursued that. I became obsessive. So I'm quite, um, I have this personality type. If I get into anything, you know, if I'm even slightly interested in it, then I'll just dive super deep into it. And that's what I did with this nature aquarium thing. And yeah, I just got completely obsessed with aquascaping. Yeah. And that, that was the beginning. That was back in sort of 2004, 2005. Yeah. I'm going off of some questions. We've also had messaging in from some fans. We, we did uh, leak to some of our fans that uh, you were coming on the podcast. So one of them they were asking is, what is your one of your first um, biotypes of an aquarium that you're trying to go for in one of your first favorite aquascapes? Well, I did. Do you mean like a bio, like my first biotype? Yes. Is that what you're saying? So what were you trying to go for that with was, one of your uh, first? Well, was, I was kind of commissioned by uh, Practical Fishkeeping magazine. So I started writing for those guys, doing just regular like planted tank articles and stuff. And they said, right, well, we want you to try an aquascape um different biotypes let's do a biotope series so my first actual biotope was a black water tank uh for harlequin resborers uh so it was like a southeast asian i think it was cambodia uh just loads of leaf litter um different uh different types of wood i just went for this like tea stained water with the with the with the harlequins that just looked super natural and that, and then yeah, that was that was my first sort of real well-known biotope, I guess. I've done like weird, weird stuff. I've done like planted marine tanks as well. So I've done like a trotted like a Bangai cardinal fish biotope with uh, sea grasses and stuff like that. It's like a planted marine tank. And then I did probably my one of the most proud biotopes was the um, when I went actually went physically diving myself into a local reservoir. Saw some stickleback fish, some elodea, yeah, uh, some elocaris, and then I collected a load of the, like the wood and some stones that were just lying in this reservoir. Collected some sticklebacks from a local garden centre. I didn't wildly collect them, and then created this UK like English English biotope, and then entered that into a, a contest, and I yeah won like first prize with this thing that I actually. You know, saw for real and recreated in an aquarium. That was really that was a really cool experience. That was, I think that was about two thousand and eight or so. so. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a big, big fan of biosopes and, and combining this natural, trying to combine the beautiful aesthetics of the aquascaping kind of concepts, combining that with something that you'd actually physically see and and the, and the, you you recreate in this habitat. Combining that visual element with a with a natural element, I think that's really where you can take fishkeeping to a different level. So how often do you go spelunking 
in local rivers, streams, or wherever you go and harvest, you know, plants or specimens for some of your aquascapes? Uh, I'd love to do it more often, but I don't, I don't get much opportunity, unfortunately. One of the coolest things I did was um, going exploring with Chris Lukalp, the shrimp guy. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Um, we certainly we have. Rainbow. Yeah, we went to Rainbow Springs in Florida, and we went sort of diving in, in the local rivers down there. And the thing with aquariums is just it helps to connect you with nature, right? And that's, that's where I get my kind of thrill from them. But when you actually go to that natural habitat of where those fish live, that's when you truly can connect, and that's that's where I, yeah, that's where I get my biggest thrills. But I can't do that as much as I'd like to, so I try to recreate that as best as I can in my own kind of living space. Again, you started in the early two thousands, and you started writing for yeah. it. Essentially, that's when you you got into it real big. When did you go to that's say right. like a first aquascaping competition, or when did these start coming up? Because I know aquascaping as a, co- a competitive uh, atmosphere is relatively new mm. in the hobby. Yeah, it, it, it really started online, and it still is predominantly online. So you've got the biggest contest is the International Aquatic Plant Layout Contest, which is hosted by Aqua Designer Mane, the kind of high-end luxury Japanese brand, um, you know, founded by Takashi Amano. And I think that contest started in, I think it started as early as sort of 2000. So that's like 20 years. But it's that's grown, you know, from from back then to where it is now. You know that that's grown massively, and there's lots of other online competitions now, and they've started doing live contests. That's that's more recent, the live stuff. You know, in the last sort of ten years or so, and um, yeah, I started. I mean, I I entered my first contest online. That was back when I when I first started the hobby, really, sort of two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Um, yeah, but co- contests are a, an interesting one. They're an interesting part of the hobby. It's a, it's a different, it's a different motivation. You know, when you're creating an aquarium for a contest, it's very different to maybe what most people want to do with aquariums is, is keeping them as something to enjoy, you know, on a day-to-day basis. When you're focusing your aquarium on a contest it's, it's so kind of time scale specific and a lot of energy is going into that aquarium in a short amount of time whereas with regular fish keeping it's like you're it's just a bit more kind of chilled and not so not so focused i'm really rambling tonight guys i'm really tired i do apologize no worries <laughs> it's nighttime. you know you crack your favorite beverage we have a lot of a lot of fun on these podcasts so don't worry about that yeah, I've had, a few, I've had a few beers as well. This Wonderful. Maybe one a bit more fluid. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be hydrated. Hydrated, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well oiled. So yeah. I, I have seen some of these pictures in these contests. How long do they get? Yeah. Do they give you to get ready for this? I mean, is this something that you can be working on for a year? Most, most, most serious sort of scapers that are doing it for this contest are probably spending six, six plus months on it. Yeah. Not, not more than nowhere. Probably not nowhere near more than six months. Six months to twelve months maximum. Some people as little as three or four months, depending on the style. A lot of the styles these days, a lot of the high end stuff is very, very hardscape dominated, uh, and that's like ninety percent of the work really goes into the hardscape. And then 
you know, the ten percent is into the planting and then and then letting that grow in. And depending on the that balance of the plants and the hardscape obviously depends on how much time they need to spend growing it in. So I've seen some of these people online that go to shows and it's amazing because you think when you do the aquascape process first, you know, like you said, ninety percent foundation, ten percent plants. We always assume it's it's a bit different. They spend so much time on the foundation to cover up some of the gaps that plants leave behind because you only have so many plants. And then you expect the plants to grow out, to become and fill in all those gaps to become beautiful. But seeing these on YouTube where people set up aquascapes on point, I think is absolutely breathtaking because they get by with, you know, bringing tubs of plants in, doing an aquascape on site and still making it look beautiful, even though it was built yesterday. I don't, I have, that's such an art. I have no idea how that does, but is there competition still that do that in person? I know the COVID ruined everything before COVID. Yeah, they had the uh, the aquatic experience in New Jersey. They they do a live aquascaping contest, and it's interesting because the more kind of experienced uh, competitors might may have stuff ready grown in, so they have pieces of hardscape, you know, pieces of wood or rocks with the plants ready attached that have been grown in for weeks or months in a previous layout, and then they'll bring them ready attached to the hardscape, put it in, and then that looks like looks super mature and grown in already. And then at the other side, you've got people that will need to use brand new plants fresh out of their pots, you know, and, and that's, that's the real challenge is making them look well grown in. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, an interesting thing, the, the live, the live aquascaping contest. So for me, it's more about these, these, these live aquascaping contests. It's, for me, it's more about actually engaging with, with the audience because you're hopefully getting a lot of people attending that event that are, you know, new hobbyists or they've never really experienced aquascaping. They get to see these these guys working live and get, in, get really inspired. That's, you know, that's that's the cool thing with these contests, I think. So I know the, when you're doing these contests, it, it costs a tremendous amount of money to travel there. It costs a lot of money to bring in um, and ship in all your, your, your goods. Um, is there any, mm-hmm. like large type rewards i mean do they give you any any prizes or is it just all bragging rights <laughs> i think in the you know in the, in the contest i just mentioned in the, in new jersey the aquatic experience that i think i think you pay to enter and then you get to i think you can get to take away the tank as well for like a really good deal uh and then there is i think there was cash prizes for the for the first maybe three top three um but I don't think it's something you'd enter to deliver, you know, go for uh, a financial kind of profit. It's more just to, to have fun. And, but yeah, it's, 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 not a cheap, it's not a cheap hobby, to be honest, unfortunately. You know, it just sometimes just to get your, your costs covered for these things. I mean, airplane tickets and mm-hmm. hotel rooms and heat packs. And- oh, I mean, you, you could easily have, you know, $2,000, depending on where you're traveling from tied up in this before you even step foot in the arena to uh, conquer mm. and make your tank so beautiful. So at the end of these contests, did you say that they, they auction these tanks off or do they sell them? I think if you're, if you're a competitor, you can get to, you have the option to buy it, you know, at a really good price. And then I guess if, if, if you don't want to do that, then they'll, they'll rough them off. But the, I think the, the tanks themselves and a lot of the equipment, I know the plants and the, you know, the soil, the hardscape is all 
uh, usually provided free of charge from the sponsors. So you'll have sponsors for the aquariums, sponsors for the plants, and this is all provided free of charge. So they can get, you know, the the folk that want to buy that whole system, they're going to get a super good deal because everything, that, that, that kind of side of things, price-wise, is covered. And all you have to do is get it home to your house, which sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the challenge, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into too deep, we cover beginner aquarists, we cover advanced aquarists, and I wanted to dabble yeah. in both, uh, both areas. So there's, in my mind, mm-hmm. a handful of aquarium styles, and I'll just list some here. There's the traditional Dutch, mm-hmm. nature aquarium, yeah. iguami, yeah. jungle, there's mixed biotype. Yeah. I'm definitely butchering the names. Uh, mixed biotypes <laughs> that we talked about initially. Uh, Taiwanese, yeah. um, Wallstad, and then of course saltwater yeah. aquariums. Is there anything that I'm missing in that list? Something new uh, that we all don't know about? You've got kind of di- diorama style is, is very, very prominent style at the moment yeah diorama so that's the the style of uh copying a landscape and kind of shrinking it down you know just miniaturizing a, a landscape fully rather than it being like an underwater looking environment you're deliberately copying like a terrestrial environment it's like a mountainscape or a forest with like mini monsai trees or something like that that's a real popular style now the diorama style yeah, I've seen some beautiful mountainscaped looking, uh, and it actually looks like they have a, a freshwater river running through it. It's so just it's literally trying mm. to recreate. Just from my understanding here, trying to recreate like a uh, Bob Ross painting. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Happy little go, clouds. Yeah. Happy I'm little aquarium. Yeah, I'm more of a traditionalist, I guess, when it comes to aquascaping. I just I'm not a big fan of seeing this landscape stuff underwater. It looks a bit weird. I just feel like you're you're a sneeze away from making a Christmas village tank. You know what I mean? You, 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 yeah. You know those Christmas villages yeah. that your grandma does? She collects those figurines. There's a train, maybe an ice skating rink. Yeah. I just feel like that's about to happen in the aquarium. Kind of a Norman, environment. A Norman Rockwell painting type of tank. Right. And then somehow there's fish floating by. <laughs> yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Those fish like, look like insects or something yeah or birds yeah well just for the for the listeners what i'd like to do is i'd like to shout out some of the ones that we listed so we just listed that one and go down the others just so they have a highlight of what each one is so could Mm -hmm. you explain to us dutch dutch is very formal um kind of groups of plants normally stem plants that uh is like a very rigid formal structure of how they're placed in the aquascape it's like uh formal gardening uh flower beds and and you're using the, the textures and the colors in, in very distinct groups to kind of create like almost like a patchwork kind of effect. Yeah, that's Dutch style. Just like you uh, decided to make a vegetable garden in your backyard and you have a little bit of pepper over here, corns in the back to make the height, and it's all little yeah. patches of... Uh... It's, very, it's very formalized and, and strict. Yeah, it's quite... Yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite, but when you see a really good, good one done, for real, it, it does look stunning. But it is just very high impact and doesn't really invoke this sense of nature because it's because it's so because it's so formal and rigid in its style. So next one would be the nature aquarium, and you think that mm. that would be um, self-explained, and people confuse it with you know selecting some sort of like biotype. But what is the mm. nature? Yeah, this is a really, this is my favorite. So this is what really got got me so passionate about aquascaping. It, it's the 
the transference of an essence of nature from outside uh, and putting that into the aquarium. So it's, you're not directly copying or transposing. You're you're just using an essence of nature. So you'll just use a combination of you know natural wood and rocks and plants in, in a way just to give the sense of nature. But you're not deliberately on a copying anything in particular. It's not really a specific cool. biotype. Instead, it's no, you free-forming no. what you think your possible nature cube could be. Yeah, exactly. No. So you could mix up plants from, you know, Asia, South America, Africa. You know, you're not, you're not creating a specific, you know, habitat. You, you're just creating, you know, visually something that gives you an essence of, of a habitat. So it's, 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 it's yeah. It's really cool. I love it. Now, the next one I'm going to butcher again. It, I always put iguami. Uh, what is Iwagumi. the actual pronunciation? <laughs> iwagumi is, is, is nature aquarium. It's, a sub, it's almost like a subsection of, of nature aquarium, but you're limited just to using rocks. So that, that's what iwagumi is. It's basically rock gardening, and you normally you just use the one type of rock, and, and you create a, a layout just using rocks. Simple as that. Now, I've seen in some of these, because I, I know a little bit more about this, but I, I, I never get anything correct. So this mm-hmm. is where they really popularize using what they call like dragonstone and trying to yeah. make it look like it's some sort of like cliffs with, you know, patches of, uh, of low hanging grass type plants. And what I've seen most recently, uh, it's probably fading out of popularity now, but they have like floating rocks to make it look like it's some sort of like Pandora off of the Avatar yes. movie. Yeah. Like Avatar. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. It doesn't have to be, if you're using rocks in any way, it's, it's Iwagumi, but the, the classics create something that looks natural. So you, you know, you, you normally start off with one very dominant stone and then you have smaller stones kind of leaning into it. And it just creates this kind of like, not mountain, but just something that looks really natural. Uh, the, the floating rocks thing is just, I think that's just a bit gimmicky and trying to, so, you know, even though it's Got gimmicky and silly, how would one do that? I'm assuming what they do is they crack the rocks in half, you put a piece of foam on the inside, and then you glue it so it's completely hidden. And then what do you use? Fishing line to make it float? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, yeah, basically. They're just using, expand- I think it's just expanded polystyrene. And they actually float, they actually have fishing line attached to the bottom of the polystyrene, and it floats, and you fix the you know the bottom of the fishing line to the base of the aquarium with a suction pad or something so you have these floating rocks i mean some of uh, them you see don't even look like there is fishing line is there do they use something thinner so it's harder to see yeah or well, maybe they just unless it's in video maybe they just photoshop maybe just get it in b-roll <laughs> yeah just cheat yeah. all just right cheat. Yeah. so the next one is jungle aquarium it's just, that's just completely freeform chaotic just do what you want to do, plant it really heavily, have lots of plants scattered everywhere, no real kind of structure to the layout. Yeah, that's basically it. Just a bit of a chaos, but healthy, healthy plants. So you said chaos. So for instance, you want yeah. it thick and dense, maybe a mangrove-esque feel, or is it just where it's completely overgrown on purpose with a tasteful feel? I, I really have never understood yeah, this well, one. It's, it's whatever you want, really. I mean, it's just... Jungle is just a, a very loose term to describe, you know, something a bit chaotic and not not conforming to the other styles. So not not Iwagumi, not nature aquarium, not Dutch, just well, an overgrown mess. Next time Jimmy oh, makes fun of mine, I'm calling it jungle. Right. Well, I'm just I'm looking at that and I'm going, you know, if, if that was my jungle tank, I'd put in elephant nose and lionfish. <laughs> but that's me. There you go. 
<laughs> just just recreate a movie. Tarzan swinging through the trees. <laughs> All right, so Taiwanese is up next. It's supposed to be some sort of combination between a nature dust style with a Zen garden feel. Don't know. I've heard yeah. I've heard the term used a couple times. I didn't think it was that uh, particularly popular. No, I don't know why it's got its own kind of uh, grouping. I don't know why it's it's, it's definitely no near and as big as Nature Aquarium or you know uh dutch it doesn't i don't think taiwanese maybe it's just some way that someone was trying to describe like you hear people that are into music and they just come up with a certain genre to try to identify and make themselves unique when it's not actually a genre hair metal yeah like hair metal yeah is that that was definitely (laughs) just metal but they decide to wear costumes all right and wolstead uh, Wolfstad is the actual kind of methodology of keeping the tank rather than aquascaping style. So Wolfstad is uh, low-tech, uh, non-CO2 injected, but the, the biggest thing is the, the soil substrate. So they normally have a, a base layer of like an organic uh, soil substrate, and then they top that off with a, with a sand or gravel. So it's more to do with that actual methodology of keeping an aquarium rather than any aquascaping style. So it- is that where the cap comes? Because, you know, you look through a lot of these beginner, um, not aquascapes, but even planted tank uh, guides, and they always start with, you know, do the uh, substrate below, put a cap on top. Is that style um, really created? Because uh, the Wallstead is, was it Diana Wallstead is the one that uh, really started this uh, yeah. whole whole movement. Is that where that came from? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So anytime yeah, so that I... read the book, uh, The Ecology of the... Planted aquarium, or yeah, the ecology of the freshwater plant in the aquarium, and um, yeah, she she kind of did some studies and stuff, and there's there's a few different opinions about that book online, but um, yeah, that that's where that that method comes from. Yeah, the garden soil method with no or very few water changes. In other aquascapes, do, what substrates do you use that differ from this? A very we tend to use like a soil substrate but it's a, a commercially prepared product so it's uh, a lot of the times it's um like volcanic ash that's been kind of pelletized into small kind of balls uh and that's yeah that's a lot of the, the different man- manufacturers that's that's what they use gotcha like um, we're using the shrimp yeah. hobby that that exact volcanic ash i use it for yeah. neocardinias you don't have to you really have to use them for cardinias those are the yeah, absolutely. way more delicate. They they need the lowering of the pH. You're going to have to use RO water that you're going to have to you know add your own minerals to to make sure they're they're much more finicky. But I definitely love that substrate uh, a lot. But yeah, keeping it natural yeah. that uh, that has the cap for sure. And if you don't use that cap and you want to use soil, you're not going to have a great tank. Trust me, those aren't going to be tannins in the water. It's just going to look like toilet stew. Besides salt water. What are the most common biotypes that you see around now? Yeah, South American is always very popular, like the Blackwater South American, uh, you know, for like Cardinal Tetras, uh, Angelfish, Discus, that sort of, yeah, tannin, leaf, leaf litter, you know, big pieces of wood, that kind of thing. And, and for those beginners um, that are listening, the, the biotype or meaning is essentially trying to represent or portray a specific location or habitat. So you could have a yeah. South American biotype where you're trying to only have South American species, plants, and styles that would replicate something in a river or body of water in that country. Or you can have something specific for a habitat. For instance, that's why uh, 
we always make the joke in the podcast of making a uh, Minnesota lake biotype where you have a largemouth bass, some sunfish, and then a beer can in it, just for uh, for the joke. <laughs> for aesthetics. Just, just yeah, to make well, it feel like yeah. it's real. Yeah, we have a similar thing in the UK. It would be a shopping trolley. You know, uh, you know, in the grocery store, you have your trolley. And, yeah, those are like often kept in like the local rivers and stuff. But. Well, I think I'm familiar with this term. We call it grocery cart. There you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> shopping <laughs> trolley. I like shopping trolley a lot better. I do, too. I, my favorite trolley is on Mr. Like we say, uh, what do you say, sidewalk? And we say path. Exactly. Or boot and trunk. Yeah, or trunk. You say, we say boot. You say trunk. Uh, it's loads, isn't it? Trash can, we say bin. And and do you guys still call, we call soda pop, pop. You call oh, no. It, that's controversial, Jimmy. See, we have uh, soda, pop, and Coke. It is like three demographics in the United uh, that States. That is correct. Yeah, I forgot about it because down south, they'll say, do you want a Coke, which just means do you want a... And they're like, what kind of Coke? I don't know, the, the classic? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you were meaning the orange, and they'll just send it down on like... A Fanta next to you. I'm like, this is weird. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't know English. <laughs> they're, now they're just going to do carbonated beverage in the UK. Just That's because. Great. They just say pop, I think. Yeah. Wonderful. Just say pop. Just, just like Minnesota. Just like Minnesota. So what, yeah. uh, what um, collaborations are, are you working on uh, right now? Um, I know that on your Facebook page, you continually post a bunch of different information and you do put out uh, YouTube videos consistently, but what is the secret project you're working on right now? There's no real secret. Oh, I do have, I do have a bit of an exclusive, actually. Ooh, that's what I'm, we're talking I'm, about. I, I'm starting um, planning a, a second book already, even though my first one hasn't been published yet. Yeah. Well, you have to. I mean, so there has to be um, the George Farmer Library. Yeah. So uh, I, can't, I can't tell you the title, but basically it involves me, it involves me going around the whole world when this lockdown finishes and, and taking photos of the most the best aquarium photos in the in the in the world basically of the of the best aquariums in the world best aquascapes in the whole world it's literally aquascaping porn yeah. that's what's going to happen so what, what yeah you- it's yeah it's basically yeah just focusing on aquascaping <laughs> at the highest at the highest level all around the world so when you put your book together, is this a combination of your tanks and other people's tanks, or are you just specifically are they asked all your tanks? Almost, almost all my tanks. Yeah, yeah. But I've done a lot of tanks and a lot of different kind of styles. So there's a lot of yeah, it covers a lot of uh, a lot of topics and a lot of different a lot of different levels. But there's a few different other people's tanks, and there's yeah, there's some huge tanks in there as well there's the giant nature aquarium in lisbon and then i did a huge huge one in hamburg uh hamburg yeah yeah so but yeah it's, it's most mostly mine though well will these large aquariums then hire you to come in and do aquascaping for them no this uh one of them did this was in a in a public zoo in germany uh, it was a seven and a half thousand gallon uh biotope Southeast Asian, which we fully planted, uh, but there's a team of four of us, and we did it over like a three day period. But the biggest one was actually I didn't set it up, but I filmed it. Um, it's the 160 feet long nature aquarium in Lisbon, the Florestas of Mersas, which was uh, led by Takashi Amane, uh just about a year before he died. It was his like his his last thing, his last big project he ever worked on. It's the world's largest nature aquarium. 
So that was the, yeah, that's the best thing I've ever, that, that actually moved me to tears when I walked in to see that exhibit. I just, it was just me and my wife and we walked in and, yeah. Because that, that was the guy that, that kind of started the journey for me. You know, he invented this nature aquarium aquascaping thing that got me so inspired. Is that the picture on your website? Yeah. Yeah, that's me standing in front of that tank. That is breathtaking. It's like going to a city, a a saltwater aquarium where you're imagining that you're going to have like penguins splashing through, but instead you're seeing a wall of breathtaking green and even red. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is is, uh, mind-blowing, yeah. Is that aquarium still going? Yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, so it was originally going to be set up for 18 months, uh, and then it was so popular that they said, oh, we'll do it for three years, and then and now it's been running for five, five and a half years, and I think they're going to keep it going indefinitely. But they've got the, the really cool thing is that if at any one time they've got two full-time Japanese guys maintaining it. So when the, when the exhibit's closed to the public, uh, these two Japanese guys, they, they actually spend all night maintaining it every night as a three-month rotor. So the, the Japanese guys will be away from their home for three months, work on this aquarium for three months solid, then go back home, and then another two go, guys come over and they swap over. And, that, and that's been happening for the last five years. This that, tank is just getting maintained like 100% all the time. That is incredible that people spend that much time, effort, money and travel time mm. just, to, just to take care of one tank. Clearly, it seems like your favorite style is the Nature Aquarium by far, correct? Yeah. So trying to uh, guide someone through just general aquascaping or their home aquarium, nothing special, just trying to get through some of the the best practices, do's or don't. So from a non-aquascapist perspective, just to go through the normal setup, you first rinse all of your uh, your objects. If you're having sand or gravel, rinse it. If you're having other substrates uh, like the volcanic ash, you don't want to rinse that, but uh, again, you're not purposely kicking it up either. So lay your substrate, yeah. slow fill, um, place your decor, yeah. get your cycle yeah. running. That's that's step one. So I'm assuming that right yeah. there leaves you as a blank canvas. But as far as the substrate, you know, we're always taught, at least for beginner aquascaping, not even aquascaping, just as a presentation, is push like a... 45 degree angle put your substrate to the back and push to the front because that always encourages the fish to move forward where it's the lowest and it also makes Mm -hmm. for a better setup that you have even the same height plants at least show up in the back almost like a stair a stairwell um Mm -hmm. you know what go from there how would you begin to set up your aquascape how do you prep plants how do you begin to make a selection yeah so i think you you started off really well there with the basic setup. So your your substrate, your hardscape, which is a decor, and and then your plants. Um, I, I normally like to split the, the aquascape into kind of five five main parts. So foreground, so that's your foreground plants. Your, your midground, so that, that's the midground plants that go between the, the foreground and the background, and then your background plants. So you've got three different stages of planting. Then you've got your hardscape, which is normally around the, the mid-ground. So you've got your wood and your rocks, potentially. 
And then what I like to do is after the foreground, midground, and background planting, I, t- I attach the epiphyte plants. So these are the plants that attach to the wooden rocks. And that gives the, the aquascape a lot more kind of focus. So when you've got this, you know, quite hopefully quite high impact hardscape, so you've got this beautiful wooden rocks in the tank, when you start attaching the the plants to that, it really brings it to life. So you've got your foreground planting, you've got your midground planting, you've got your background planting, you've got your hardscape, and then you've got your plants on the hardscape. You've got a really beautiful, heavily planted tank right from the start. And now, this is nearly the point where the, the fans want to know your favorite. But specifically beyond that, I want to know your favorite for beginners. So if someone's going to try out their first uh, you know, guide through, maybe they're trying to go on one of your videos and try to match some of uh, your designs to the best of their abilities, because mm-hmm. again, you only design with what you have. What's some of your favorite driftwood yeah. to choose for a beginner in plants? I don't know if you guys can get hold of it over there, but I, I like to use manzanita wood. That's a really good one. Have you guys heard of that? I, I think I've seen some. Um, it, it all depends yeah, okay. on the, the pet store. Maybe they can even order it. But in. you can get uh, any, any kind of generic bogwood, but you're looking for the, the most sort of interesting pieces. You don't just want like a, a relatively round lump. You want something with a, it's a bit more branchy. So you're aiming for a piece of hardscape, but the, whether it's the, w- the wood or the rock, it needs to kind of fill a good amount of that aquarium. So you want to be... You know, the highest piece of your hardscape should be around two-thirds of the height of the tank. So if you have an 18-inch aquarium tall, you should, you know, the top piece of that hardscape should be hitting 12 inches or so. So you're getting plenty of height in there. Um, and what pieces you choose to do that, it's up to you. It's what, you know, what you can find. But try to get some, you know, really nice pieces, big pieces, now, on to the- get enough height in the aquarium. On the manzanita wood, I'm assuming you pick that. Uh, when I've used it in the past, because I have had some pieces, it's been very mm-hmm. um, hard wood, meaning when it's soaked with water, it doesn't fall apart, it doesn't rot. After a while, it stays its maintained shape. Is that part of the mm-hmm. uh, choice behind it? Yeah, it's a good word. I mean, some woods, uh, yeah, obviously softer than others, but yeah, manzanita is a yeah, it's a good word. It does it. To be honest with you, after a couple of years, it does kind of get quite soft and you can you kind of scrape it back with your fingernail if it gets covered in. You know, sometimes you get a little bit of algae and you just kind of scrape it off with your fingernail. I don't know if you guys do that, but you can just feel it coming away a little bit. So it does get a little bit soft after a while. Oh, I mean, that's all. But, yeah, and he, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, no, no, manzanita is nice. I like manzanita just because it's kind of twisty and there's a lot more kind of character to it than a lot more, you know, a lot of types of wood when you're when you're trying to get something to grow on that what is the best way mm-hmm. what's the easiest way to get plants to grow on on the wood and the rocks yeah i've heard a lot of different methods like people using wire people using string people Just using like, some bonding glue what do you use i use i use glue normally but my favorite my favorite technique is to just literally wedge it in between a gap so a lot of the times when i aquascape i have a lot of a lot of different pieces of wood and rocks and there's a lot of interconnections there's a lot of crossovers there's a lot of natural gaps in between that wood or the rock and i literally just wedge the plants in and then over the coming weeks the plant 
sends out its roots and you know rhizome grows and it self attaches really securely. So a lot, yeah, a lot of probably ninety percent of the time, my plants are just literally wedged into gaps. And so you're saying in two to three weeks that plant will actually just hold on to it, and you don't have to worry about it yeah. floating off. That's incredible. Yeah, if you've got good growing conditions, so you've got good CO two, good liquid fertilizers, good lighting, that that plant will yeah get start getting on really well. So, what are your favorite plants to encourage beginners to use? Um. I really like uh, Anubias. That's a really nice, easy one, especially if you don't have strong lighting. Uh, Java fern is quite quite easy. It's not as easy as some people make out to get a Java fern to look really good. You need to need to look after it quite well. Um, Cryptocorini, crypts are really easy. They tolerate low lighting and don't need CO2 injection. Um, Background plants, they've got really easy stem plants like um, hot, Valis. Uh, you guys must have you heard of Valis over there. Jungle Val. Oh, yeah. If you've got a big tank or just uh, Valis nearest virus for, for kind of medium. Dwarf sage. Aquarium. Yeah. Uh, you've got Sagittaria as well. That's nice and easy and fast growing. Uh, for foreground. If you want a carp, an easy carpeting species, then you could go for uh, Liliopsis brasiliensis. Quite easy, and it's nice and slow as well. What's Crips one of the Grani parva? What's one of the carpeting species that you'd recommend without CO two? Because in my experience and the stuff that I've tried, I can get mixed mm. success with carpeting species, but most of them really yeah. don't grow without a CO two tank. And I do most of mine low tech. You could try. I mean, cryptocurrency parva, but it's so slow. You're looking at a couple of years, really, without CO2. Um, Liliopsis brasiliensis is, again, quite slow, but very tolerant of, of low lighting and no CO2. Um, do you guys have Eleocharis parvula, like dwarf hair grass? That, that can do okay as well sometimes without so CO2. We do. I, I'm very mixing that as well. I have to... Uh... Blast it with light, and then I still get mixed mm. results. What about AstroTurf? Okay. AstroTurf. AstroTurf. Just put some AstroTurf in there and there call it go. good. There you go. And a golf yeah. ball. <laughs> so what are the most common mistakes that you see aquascapers do? I think my, one of my biggest problems when I started was trying to hit like a specific nutrient level or just really getting obsessed with like testing my water and trying to you know, hit the perfect kind of parameters. And I, and I realized, actually, it's just more important to focus on the basics, you know, just ignore all the numbers, just look at the plants and try to grow them as best you can. And then once I started doing that and I didn't worry about testing and just focused on good plant growth and everything else was relatively easy. You know, my, my fish were healthier, the whole aquarium system was healthier. I wasn't stressed about testing the water. So my, my method was like just feeding feeding the plants every day with a decent quality liquid fertilizer um, and feeding quite a lot and then doing that every day, but then changing a lot of the water every week to reset everything and then just repeating that. So I never needed to test the water, but I knew the plants were getting plenty of food and I could just see in the plant health and the fish health that everything's fine. What are some others, like as far as like, design elements or 
something that they could uh, have prevented if they did it uh, correct at the beginning? A lot of beginners will really worry about spending any decent money on hardscape. So they'll just buy small pieces or only a few pieces, if, you know, even if they have a relatively, relatively large aquarium. Put this hardscape in and it won't have any real impact um, and it won't give them a strong design. And then they need to rely on the plants to, to fill up the aquarium. And then normally when you buy a plant, it's not, it's not very big. You know, and they'll, it will take them a long time to really get that nice visual impact that you, you can get from an aquascape. So my advice would be for beginners to invest in a really good quality and, and good size uh, and amount of, of decent hardscape materials. Yeah, I know. You know, my wife and I do a lot of gardening and stuff, and, and we just re- recently were on vacation. And we came across a place that had a, a rock quarry, but they sold all yeah. types all types of rock from all over the world. And we sat there and deliberated for an hour if we were going to buy this one green rock that was probably, if you took the si- you know a huge beach ball and cut it in half, it was about that size, and it was two hundred dollars, wow. two hundred dollars for this one rock. And we sat, and if we yeah. could if we could have lifted it up and got it in the back of our SUV. We would have taken it home, but it, it was so large yeah. and so heavy they needed a forklift. But she says, I want one centerpiece item in my in my garden, which is next to our pond. And um, yeah. and so to to get that one centerpiece item, you might have to spend some money, but it's something that, that yeah. you'll have forever and you can redo it. And I think it just yeah. adds to the beauty of the entire uh operation of the garden of the aquarium, of your backyard, or whatever you're doing. So Absolutely. I, uh, you, 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 you've raised a really good point now. It's, it's timeless. When you, when you buy a piece of rock, or even most, most wood will last years and years, just keep it forever and just keep investing in the best pieces you can, and hopefully you've got somewhere where you can store them. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a big garden. I can just hide them down the sides. But yeah, every time I go into a new store, I'll always, you know, seek out the best hardscape and I normally buy at least one piece wherever I go. So I'm constantly building my hardscape collection because that, that is the, it's the first, it's the initial part of the aquascape and it's the most, you know, arguably the most important part. It's the framework where your, your aquascape comes from is building that hardscape to start with. Now, you said you you uh, blame your stepdaughter for giving you that book and getting you started in this hobby. Is any, <laughs> anybody else in your family interested in, in doing any of this, or they just think you're nuts? <laughs> no, no, no one's actually like interested from a hobby perspective. But I think they all appreciate uh, that I love what I do, and you know I'm in a fortunate position to be able to you know support you know my family um, you know from an income perspective doing it so i'm sure they're grateful for that and i think they really do genuinely appreciate having beautiful aquariums in the home as well my stepson my eldest stepson now he i pay him to maintain them as well so i don't even have to do any water changes anymore so that's awesome uh even better and yeah i think everyone everyone benefits from it i think i think they get a little bit frustrated sometimes when i'm i've got like hoses everywhere doing like water changes and um like camera equipment, filming, and telling everyone to shut up or turn their <laughs> internet off while I'm streaming something. Um, but yeah, I think on the whole, I think they, they will appreciate it. But they don't. They never sit. They never sit down and 
like I do and just sit there and then looking at the aquarium and enjoying it. They never consume it like I do from a hobbyist perspective. I think they just see it as part of my work, which is interesting. Well, I still got to give a shout out to your wife. You guys started this, uh, this podcast adventure um, not so yeah. long back. I mean, it looks like, what, uh, beginning of August? Yeah, it was, yeah. So, uh, eight weeks or so, yeah. It, yeah. It's, if you guys haven't listened to it, I suggest certainly going. You can go on any platform just like us, Spotify, iTunes, and find the George Farmer Podcast. You guys look to be up to episode eight. Um, again, like yeah. us at the aquarium guys, we do once, uh, once a week. It looks like you guys are keeping to a tight mm-hmm. schedule as well, but you guys seeming to uh, start out with the idea of seasons. And I love this. So, uh, what you said is, uh, I was mm-hmm. listening to some of these, uh, podcasts, uh, you know, episode one is getting the foundations of how to maintain, uh, your planted aquarium. And you guys do yeah. everything from talking about how to do CO2 injection, the lighting, low tech versus high tech. I'm just reading some titles here, and it's been a quite uh, quite a good journey, especially for people that are beginners to certainly mm. jump on board while you're putting out this uh, this first season. But you actually co-host with you with your wa- lovely wife Emma, and uh, I got to say, I'm, right, I'm definitely yeah. a fan. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's for people to learn something. It's good to come make it come across in like a, a bit of a story and a bit of a Q and A. So rather than me just transmitting. The knowledge it's good to bounce off especially someone like emma who's relative you know she's a beginner point where you know she obviously learns some stuff by osmosis because i make her watch my videos <laughs> heck yeah uh, um, yeah it's and, nice to have a partner uh, that at least yeah, helps you i think i think she just does it out of you know just because she wants to support me i don't think she's genuinely interested in the content it's good fun and it uh, do you know the the biggest thing for me is is that that she wants to support me in it, you know. And we, I have to confess, we have we have to sort of before we do the podcast, I have to like go into a deep dive for an hour about the topic before we do it. So it gives her some kind of background, and then we build the questioning, you know, to tell the to tell the narrative that we want to do. So, but it works really well and. We have a really, actually, we have a really good laugh. But if you saw our setup, I mean, I'm I'm looking at your studio now, and it is like if you saw how we record our podcast. uh, Right, this is an exclusive. We're both lying on our beds. Hey, that that's that's where the magic happens. You know what I mean? We have we have we have an iPhone and a lav mic, and we we attach the lav mic. Like we're in a load of cushions and stuff because I know this is gonna better for the audio uh and we just have the lav mic kind of in between us and we're just sort of 12 inches apart like just lying there and amongst the cushions and that's how we record our podcast so i don't want to ruin your guys's time in bed because that i mean seems <laughs> decent but uh in, in light of that i mean we're we're more than happy of helping you out getting you set up with your own studio and uh helping out with whatever you need man i mean we have a. Uh, we're in what Jimmy calls Studio B. This is my basement. We got a green screen behind us. People are watching us on Discord. Uh, if you want to be a part of yeah. watching us live, just a reminder: go to AquariumGuysPodcast dot com. Bottom of the website, you can join the debauchery. And yeah, we have this. Uh, it's it's a board for those who are listening. We'll give a little background to us as well, since you so talked about your your bedroom podcasts. Um, we made yeah. this wonderful. I have a friend of mine that made this wonderful uh, island. 
So I have all these uh, yeah. four boom mics stuck to this piece of wood, and on the wood I have the audio board. So we can unplug this. I can put it in the car and drive wherever I need to and do a podcast in person. So we uh-huh. have up, you know, up to two guests. I can add more if I really needed to. But it's a it's a nice clean solution to make a professional easily uh, mobile, and it's uh it's mm. quite the quite the fun. We're getting ready to do videos when Spotify opens uh, videos up because we're you know you're brave enough to do YouTube, but if if we say the the wrong uh, dolphin joke, we'll get banned from YouTube. So <laughs> yeah. that is be one more place that we're probably That's being fun. banned. I'm just really happy that Robbie sure. didn't say that we're gonna start doing the podcast in his bedroom. Oh, we're gonna do one now. No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> I, I'm not. We'll get the pillows out. Yeah, I'm gonna. Those aren't pillows. Yeah. Quit playing with my hair, Jimmy. It's weird. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not going to happen. So uh, I'm. I'm just. Ex- it's amazing. I mean, you talk about how your wife supports you, even though she probably doesn't think it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, my wife also supports mm. everything uh, that I do, and it is just. Uh, and you don't even make money doing yours, really, right? And it's just refreshing to have somebody who. You know, like this afternoon, I said, I'm going to go over and shoot a podcast with Robbie. And she goes, okay, she'll let me know if I, if you need anything. And, uh, you know, she'll run food over to us or, or run beer over to me if I'm running out of beer or something. But um, that that would be my whole thing. If uh, if it takes an hour to get your wife in the mood to do the podcast, maybe get her liquored up. <laughs> you know, buy her, buy her a couple of drinks before you start the podcast. Yeah. Well, keep it. Nice, go. Keep the podcast up. We, we, we certainly appreciate it. it. Again, we can only go through introductory on highlights of aquascaping. If you want to learn more about aquascaping from the best, certainly the George Farmer podcast, fantastic uh, resource. George Farmer on YouTube. There's plenty of different video libraries of product spotlights, uh, tank setups, live sessions on how he aquascapes. And again, the book that's coming out from georgefarmerstudios.com. Go there. The book is pre-order available on Amazon. It's Aquascaping, a step-by-step guide to planting, styling, and maintaining beautiful aquariums, written by George Farmer. So certainly get that pre-order up. And don't be afraid. Make mistakes. Try to get some uh, yeah. aquariums out there. And if you got questions, email us. Email George. His contact info is on the website. Uh, trust me, he's a, a, a real gentleman here to help you and inspire you to make something beautiful. So how many tanks do you have in your home, George, that, that you maintain right now? Uh, I have four right now. Yeah. So not too many. I have a 50-gallon Malawi cichlid tank. He said gallon for us, and by I the have, way. I appreciate that. Yeah. And then I have a 30-gallon high-tech planted tank. And then I have a 20-gallon kind of medium-tech planted tank. And then I have a very small two-gallon, non. It's like a no-filter uh, des- desktop tank, just just with plants and shrimp in there. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is there any type of fish that you would suggest not keeping in a in a aqu- aquascape tank? I mean, fish that will just um, literally tear the place up. Yeah, there's a few candidates of you know purely sort of herbivorous fish. So silver dollars, uh, a lot a lot of kind of cichlids mm, and tear up plants um I, I tend to stick with small shoaling species so like tetras and rosboras danios maybe um I, I tend to find bigger shoals of small fish 
of, of the same species look really natural in, in blighted tanks. So I tend to avoid big, boisterous fish, although I am keeping, um, I'm planning my next tank, which is a discus, 100-gallon discus aquascape. So I'm excited about that one. Are you going to start out with uh, with uh, small discus, or are you going to do the big ones? Big ones, uh, 14 centimetres, so what's that, uh, five, five and a half inches. That's, that's a hefty boy. Yeah. Well, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Well, George, we got to go through some questions from the audience uh, before we let you go. Okay. So one All of the right. questions that we have here is what is the uh, rarest uh, plant species that you've successfully kept? That's a really good question. I don't really keep, I'm not a massive like plant geek in terms of trying to keep rare stuff. I just use them as a, as a canvas, you know, for, for the paint, uh, for the, uh, for the, it's a paint for the canvas. Sorry. Um, I tell you what, I have some Anubius mini coin at the moment, which is quite rare. Uh, so it's like Anubius, you know, regular Anubius, but the, that each leaf is about, it's less than a quarter of an inch at fully mature in size. Yeah. Wow. Much. Yeah. Really, really small. So look at your little fingernail and it's about half the size of that. That would be adorable yeah, if that's really. the, f- the full growth of it, for sure. Yeah, but it's so slow growing. I have a portion about the size of a quarter. God, I'm, I'm really into my American little culture, aren't I? Yeah, a quarter size, quarter size. is in the coin. We, we appreciate all of yeah. it. I know you did some effort and homework for us. Yeah, don't, don't use Celsius because that really throws us too. <laughs> don't worry, I have the conversion chart <laughs> up with whatever every UK guest. Uh, no, no. Uh, it's really funny because over the years, honestly, I speak two languages in terms of metric and imperial because I just deal with it all the time. Yeah, it's really funny. I could tell, if you throw any any gallons at me, I'll tell you the liters straight away, just like instantly. It's like another language. It's a it's a wonderful <laughs> skill as an aquascapist. That would be good on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, Anubis mini coin uh, is a rare one that I've kept really nicely. Yeah. Uh, next question would be: Have you done any non-typical biotypes? Such as, uh, I think they're referring to comedic biotypes, like we we mentioned, like doing the bottom of the lake with the beer can. What is their non-traditional biotypes uh, you've attempted? I'd, People are making fun of me. Biotopes. Yeah, it's, the word is biotope. Yeah, I don't want to correct you. I've been embarrassed. No, no, please. <laughs> Lay the smack down. Right, um, I did a, I, th- I think, the weird, not the weirdest, but the most, it sounds really cheesy, but it was a goldfish tank with plastic plants but i did it in it so it looked really really natural like a really nice aquascape so a load of boulders um a load of like spiky uh plastic plants and it, it looked really nice actually yeah so that that's probably the most interesting non-traditional aquascape i've, I've done we got to get pictures where can we find pictures of that buddy yeah, you can find it if you just. I think if you probably just Google George Farmer Goldfish Aquascape, probably find it. So, next uh, yeah. question is: Have you done any of these New Age River style tanks? So, I think what they mean by this is we're seeing a trend in the hobby of more and more people making these elongated tanks with absolutely extreme amount of water flow. So they're trying to like mirror a flowing river where it actually pumps that much water through the tank. I've filmed these before. I've never actually sat one up myself, but there's a shop in Journey called Pantarai. And, um, yeah, they, they, they're, one of the, the parts of their business is making these very, very high-flow 
pumps. Um, and yeah, they they have these bio bio like specific specific biotope setups with yeah stupidly high flow rates. Um, but they mimic the the amount of flow rates these fish are experiencing in nature. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, you said you haven't done anything with these. You're just filming them. No, I'm, yeah, I've only just witnessed them. Yeah. So do you see that as like a, a future yeah, trend for the most extremist hobby? Because you got to expect these particular type of tanks cost an absurd amount of money, not only just for the hardware, mm. but the electricity they use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but it is. You know, if if, if people want to take their hobby to that next level, then yeah, you can go in any any direction, can't you? You can. Yeah, big big flow is is one direction, I guess. And I guess there's one more bonus question. What is the uh, next trend that you're most excited for? I really I really enjoy seeing the more out of water stuff that's going on. So a lot of the paludarium style. So the the bottom you know the bottom part of the aquarium is is submersed, and then you have sort of three quarters. The rest of it is growing out of with natural planting and. Yeah, just this above, above and below water thing that's going on. I think this could be a, a big part, you know, a big big thing to look out for in the future. And it's something that excites me. I think uh, it, it it looks more natural. It kind of invokes this closer connection with nature when you have, when you see the out of water stuff going on with the underwater that crossing over thing. I think there's something special about that. We just recently were on uh, vacation and we saw something like that a very, very large uh, tank. And it, it was kind of like the river system, like Rob was talking about, where you can see like the natural river fishes and stuff. But it was it was more, yeah. of, more of a uh, exotic fish. Um, and then on, above there, the plants were out of the water. They had poison dart frogs. They had small chameleons, yeah. some anoles and stuff. And then on, on top yeah. of that, they actually had a few uh, small birds. But it was all one big tank. It was all enclosed together. And I sat there mm. for for twenty minutes, and just every time you look, you see something else moving that you you didn't. Yeah. I mean, they even had some some uh, ribbon snakes in there, which were incredibly uh, beautiful, bright green yeah. ribbon snakes. So uh, there's so many beautiful. cool things out there that people just keep coming up with, and it just uh, enjoys the heck out of it when I see that. It's anything anything that connects people with nature. Better, I think, is a good thing, and aquariums are a huge part of that. But the more I kind of get into aquariums, the more I realize. The aquariums are just a, a kind of a byproduct of, of my own personal kind of passion to do with connecting people with nature. And, that, and any, anything that can achieve that, whether it's breeding fish or shrimp or growing plants or making the aquarium look beautiful with aquascaping or, or, you know, keeping goldfish, you know, whatever genre, whatever specific niche of the hobby that you're into, you know, it, it's all about a, a slightly closer collect, collect connection with nature. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, George, is there anything that you feel we missed in this uh, this topic? Again, we're only highlighting stuff. Aquascaping is a very deep and dense uh, subject, and I feel that we really cater yeah. to beginners on this, mainly due to request. There's so many people that we see just getting into it or feel that aquascaping is one of the most intimidating parts of the hobby. We feel that... Uh, Aquascaping doesn't have to be perfect. Um, as long as you have a no. vision, strive for that. But what, what are anything we're missing? I just want people to give give aquarium plants a real go. It's almost put aquascaping to one side. 
just purely from a fish keeping point of view, if you can learn to grow aquarium plants, those those aquarium plants have so many bene- so many benefits for the aquarium system. So they produce oxygen, they remove harmful nutrients from the water, like nitrogen compounds. They help to reduce algae. They create a secure and safe and you know beautiful environment for the fish. And then almost secondary to that, they they look beautiful to you as well. So if you can just consider putting some effort and time into growing, you know, a good amount of aquarium plants, then if you could do that, and then the next thing might be aquascoping, you know, so get the plants looking good and healthy. So it keeps the aquarium healthy for the fish and then you enjoy keeping these plants and then think about making them look beautiful put the emphasis on the actual system in terms of making it healthy by the use of aquarium plants. And then as a byproduct of that, think about making the aquarium look beautiful for you. I don't know know if that makes sense to you guys. It it totally makes sense to me. I mean, uh, it is an ongoing project. You can continue to do something week in, week out. You do a little tweaking. You can add stuff. You can take away stuff. Um, you see a new idea somewhere and you can run with it. Um, it is a fantastic hobby. It's a very beautiful site, like you said, in, in the aquarium. And just to have your friends and neighbors come over and see that and just go, that is incredible. Uh, that is just mm. a, a wonderful feeling for oneself. Mm. And a lot of people that get started, yeah. they get, they get hung up on what, what should I choose? Start somewhere, you know, if you're really looking for a place and you don't want to do homework and the aquatic names of plants are very intimidating because most of them don't have mm. common names. We even did an advertisement for Joe Shrimp Shack in one of our earlier episodes yeah. where he couldn't pronounce a single plant name on purpose. Well, find a friend, <laughs> you know, go to your Facebook groups, go to your local aquarium clubs and ask, Hey, is there a plant guy here? And I take them out to lunch and say, I'll give you 50 bucks for a bucket, <laughs> a bucket of trimmings. I guarantee that guy will yeah. fill a five-gallon bucket top to bottom with everything and anything. You don't need to know the names. You can learn as you go. Plant and just yeah. try it. You, you, you won't yeah, get yeah. hurt. Absolutely. Start somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it's the best way to learn. Just dive in and make mistakes and learn from them and just be prepared to put a bit of effort in. And the best part is and, yeah. those species that you got from the friend, if you have any questions, he's there for you. Oh, it's this purplish looking one. Well, pff, that one, tiger, tiger lotus. Just do that with it. Make sure it has a lot yeah. of sun. You know, he'll guide you through. He wants you to succeed as well. But George, yeah. thanks so much again for coming on the podcast, buddy. Ah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, again, those are, don't forget georgefarmerstudios.com books coming out. Check out his podcast and YouTube channel. Jimmy, got anything for us? Nothing, man. I've just been inspired. I want to go home and start planting uh, more plants and stuff. I've never had any luck with plants. Robbie does plants pretty well, and I would just like to go do a nice job and tell Robbie to suck it later on. It's your birthday next week? It's my birthday next week, yeah. It's your birthday next week. You got volcanic ash soil for me for uh, for your birthday present. You're yeah. going to go get on it. Yeah, Robbie and I are kind of weird. Uh, for his birthday, I bought him a 50-pound cement goldfish that he absolutely loves, and it sits out it. in front of his house. <laughs> and uh, I had <laughs> one, and uh, I purchased I did not uh, want him to steal it because he threatened me many times that he was going to steal it. You're damn right. And so we uh, we went and found another one. And uh, so, yeah, we're kind of weird. We're, we buy each other aquarium gifts, but I guess we're the aquarium guys. So well, there you go. For those that are listening to the podcast, if you want to support the podcast, go to aquariumguyspodcast.com, buy the website. 
you can uh, you know share the content or donate a little money to help us keep the lights on. Um, but for those that are listening, I want to thank you. Uh, it is now uh, September 11th. Wait, I just realized it's September 11th. Uh, the September 8th is when we started the podcast a year ago. So we have now surpassed a year. It has been an honor and pleasure talking with you all every week. And I uh, can't wait to do it more. All right. Looking forward to it. And like, like Rob said, it's, it's September 11th today. We're doing this podcast. And it's the year 2020. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? <laughs> That's my boy, don't you know.